0: Hello, and welcome to the Nature Jobs Podcast. I'm Julie Gould. In this month's Windback Wednesday series, we're looking at entrepreneurship. So, how to become an entrepreneur, what it takes to be one, and what one really is. Last week, Imperial College hosted SynBioBeta, a group that looks to nurture fledgling synthetic biology ideas and innovations into the scary world of becoming a startup. The keynote speaker for the event was Steve Blank, an associate professor at Stanford University Engineering School, a lecturer at UC Berkeley House Business School, Columbia Business School and UCSF in San Francisco. On top of all of that, he is also a thought leader of the Lean Startup Movement, which if you haven't come across the term, I definitely recommend that you look it up as it'll come up a few times in this podcast. But I had the opportunity to speak to him after his keynote session. And my first question was, what does he teach at all of these different institutions?
1: I'm teaching in the general form entrepreneurship. But what I'm really teaching is a process on how startups should start their companies. And this process is actually very different from how we used to think that startups should start.
0: How did this interest you in the first place?
1: I was interested in how technology entrepreneurship worked and what it was I was doing and I was invited to lecture at UC Berkeley in in the business school and once I started thinking about it I realized that how we've been teaching entrepreneurship and practicing it was essentially saying that startups were just nothing more than smaller versions of large companies. Now, what investors had been telling inventors and scientists was just go copy everything a large company did. They re- wrote business plans. We want you to write a business plan. They hired sales and marketing people on day one. We want you to do that. They wrote five-year plans and then executed to that plan. We want you to do that. And by the way, then once we give you money to do that, the only possible outcome could be that you're going to follow the plan and it will set $100 million in year five and that's what you're going to do. And if you failed, it was a personal failure. You obviously weren't good enough or your head of sales wasn't good enough or your head of marketing wasn't good enough. There could have been absolutely nothing wrong with that plan because we blessed it by giving you money. And it wasn't that no company went public and it wasn't that no company was, was successful. But if you really dig back and see what happened is that the most successful companies actually ignored their plan and actually learned very rapidly what they really needed to do, in fact, the heuristic I kind of developed is no business plan survives first contact with customers. You could write everything you want down, but the minute you get out of the building, nothing works like plan. So I kind of evolved a couple of hypotheses myself. The first book I wrote was called The Four Steps to the Epiphany, and it kicked off something called the Lean Startup Movement. And The Four Steps to the Epiphany kind of articulated that all you kind of have in a startup is a series of untested hypotheses. And a hypothesis is a fancy word for we're just guessing. And if you really take that business plan that people were making you write, and you deconstructed it, you'd actually figure out that you might have some facts about your technology, but everything else, who your customers were, what your pricing should be, who your competitors are going to be, you're just guessing. And, and what we used to do was kind of argue with each other inside your startup about pricing and features and whatever, and only find out much later after we built the product and shipped it that we were wrong. And that's an expensive mistake. But my observation was, why don't we just simply get out of the building on day one and start iterating and learning about whether those were valid hypotheses or not. And in fact, we can actually treat this like the scientific method. We can actually set up experiments, get some data, get some insight, and then modify the hypotheses. And uh, I had a student named Eric Rees who observed that the best way to actually match customer development was with an agile engineering process. That is, instead of building the entire product on day one, we can actually build the product incrementally and iteratively. And that was a great match for the customer development process, and that was called agile engineering. And then someone named Alexander Osterwalder came up with something called the business model canvas, which allowed us to frame all the hypotheses in a very easy to visualize way. It turns out these three components, the business model canvas, my customer development process, and agile engineering make up the lean startup.
0: So really the idea is for scientists who are working in the lab, who come up with an idea and think this looks like it's a viable commercial idea, need to get out and start asking people questions. But then what if everyone starts saying no? How do they deal with that?
1: (laughs) There's a couple pieces to your question. One is it? it turns out there are four types of startups, and it's not always obvious which one you're in. So there's startup in an existing market. And what an existing market is, and just like it sounds, the, the market exists. There are customers you could talk to. And my definition is if you're entering an existing market, you're building a higher performance product. And the customers will tell you what the basis of higher performance means. Is it speed? Is it something else? Is it service? But it's better. There's another type of existing market where if you offered something cheaper or something designed just for them. But there's a third type of startup that's a new market. No one has ever invented this. You're solving a need that may not even exist today. And if you ask customers, what do you think of X? They've never even heard of this. There is no market. So now you're a visionary. And so what you're doing outside the building is trying to understand what does the world look like today? What would it look like if My product actually was developed, and what's required to get from today to where everybody adopts? That's a really different type of customer development. And the fourth type of startup is a clone business, meaning if you're in China or India or Brazil or Russia, you take an existing EU or American business model and you politely adapt and adopt it for your local segments. And so the question I ask entrepreneurs all the time is, so what type of startup are you? And if you're getting nose in an existing market, you better be thinking kind of hard whether you have the right what's called product market fit. If you're getting nose in a new market, that might be okay, but you need to understand what's, what is it going to take for that market to develop. And this whole idea about getting out of the building is to match your view of what the product is with kind of the market and this first two things product market fit is sometimes the most important thing you need to discover
0: and so part of what you've been teaching entrepreneurs as well is that this going out and finding out what your customers want is the step to do the research to do before you put together a business model and execute that business model which is what the larger in motion companies do anyway
1: That's exactly it. And it's difficult. It's not difficult physically, it's difficult psychologically. Here I've been a researcher and I've kind of bought into this theory that I just hire a VP of sales and describe the product to them and we raise some money and they go out and sell it. It turns out that that's not the case. That's execution. What we're doing is searching. And searching assumes that all we have are hypotheses about who these customers are. What's really interesting is that if you're a very, very smart researcher, you might think, well, I'm the smartest person in this building. Obviously, I know all the answers. My response is, well, let's agree you're the smartest person in the building, but you're not smarter than the collective intelligence of your potential customers or partners or funders, and therefore you need to go out and get that data.
0: What advice would you give to scientists and researchers who have a seed of an idea at the moment they're familiar with the scientific method, which you've been applying now to setting up a business. How would you tell them to, to start developing this idea into something that could turn into a commercial product? Okay.
1: Well, I guess the first thing I do is tell them to buy Osterwalder's book and mine. But no, no. But but seriously, it it, it turns out that you might be a domain expert in your science, and you have some notion of, oh, this would be applicable in the petrochemical industry, or you'd, this would be in, you know, in the pharmaceutical business. Well, great. Tell me all about that business. Well, I don't really know all about that business. Okay. Guess what? You now need to know about that business. Well, I'm not a petrochemical expert. That's great. You're a smart scientist and researcher. It doesn't, t- well, I'll just go to the library and look it up, or I'll hire some proxy to go do that. It turns out that that's where these things fail is that you personally need to get involved and understand that industry and those people you're going to be uh, selling to and specifically you need to understand all the way down to the detail of those customers that you think are going to be buying this you need to like be looking them in the eyes and watching their pupils dilate when you actually describe what product and service you think you're going to be offering them and watch their reactions and if you think you're right this will take five minutes right you'll make a couple phone calls and they'll jump all over you and write you checks The reality is usually not that pretty. The reality is the people you think should love this, you're going to learn. You're calling on the wrong people or they already have this or they're not interested in the features you think are important. And that is the learning process, particularly if you do that inexpensively before you raise money. By the time you do raise money, you know what the right path is because you've tested a bunch of the wrong paths. And this just takes time but not much money.
0: Time is a an expensive resource and one that's not easy to come by. So how do you take the time away from your research to develop these? So
1: this is a great question. I think it goes back to what's a founder and what is commercialization? And so you could decide that you're a researcher, and yes, seeing your product commercialized is perhaps some intellectual curiosity, but you don't want to be engaged in that process. And my answer is, for God's sake, if that's what you think, Don't even go near the commercialization process. But there's another set of researchers, and they're a small segment. Let me emphasize, it's not everybody who should want to do this. It's the crazy people who should want to do this. It's, in fact, the same researchers who love music or who paint, compose, or who sculpt. Those people are artists. And artists have something inside of them that they actually want to bring to fruition and actually see tangible results of. It's not just thinking about music or listening to music. They want to make music. Making a startup and making something commercial is exactly that same feeling. And if you don't have that passion for it, you shouldn't get engaged. But if you do have that passion for it, what you're going to find out is you will figure out how to split up some time, take six months off or a sabbatical or whatever. It doesn't mean resigning or giving up, for God's sake, tenure or abandoning your lab or whatever. But you will find once in your life you, you will experience what it takes to actually do a startup. Um, but this isn't a job. This is a passion.
0: Thank you very much. You're welcome. Well, that's an eloquent definition to finish on. And if you've got any comments, thoughts or questions for Steve, please do leave them in the comment section below. Or you can use the hashtag NJpodcast on Twitter. Next time, we'll be continuing with the entrepreneurship theme and we'll be hearing from Kit Malthouse, the Deputy Mayor of London for Business and Enterprise. He's been putting some plans into action in the hope of turning London into a thriving ecosystem for biotech startups. But in the meantime, if you want to find out more about Nature Jobs, you can go to blogs.nature.com forward slash Nature Jobs or follow us on Twitter at Nature Jobs or even on Facebook. That's it for now. I'm Julie Gould.